This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, the 2016 Ecuador earthquake occurred on April 16th of 2016 with at least 673 people killed and over 27,000 people injured. And here to tell us more about this time and how it affected health workers in the country, as well as the population at large, is Anna Stewart Ibar from the Center for Global Health and Translational Science at Upstate Medical University. Welcome. Thanks so much for coming in, Dr. Ibarra. Thank you, Linda. So, you know, every time you come, and, and you've been here a number of times, mm-hmm. Anna, I, I'm so fascinated with your work. And so mm-hmm. I thought we'd start out, before we get to the earthquake, by just helping our listeners understand, first and foremost, what are you doing in Ecuador? Mm-hmm. Why Ecuador? Mm-hmm. Both those things sure. first. So I've been doing research on dengue fever and now Zika mosquito-borne diseases in Ecuador since 2007, so for almost 10 years now. Um, I am Ecuadorian and U.S. citizen, and so I have very strong personal links and professional links to, to the region. You have family in both places? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's really a joy to be able to bridge my, my work and life across these two countries. And so we've been working with the governments in Ecuador since, like I said, since 2007 to understand uh, the epidemiology of these diseases, which are now emerging and creating a major major chaos, really, in the in the region. Especially of late, Zika has really come to the forefront. Dengue's been around, and we've had right. great concern about it. Mm-hmm. But Zika today, with all of the birth defects mm-hmm. associated, has really kind of, you know, been thrust into the public consciousness. Yeah, I would say these are definitely one of the number one public health concerns in the country and in, in the world right now, really. And so your role there has been to basically try to determine... What exactly? So our work has been focused on putting in place studies and and this disease surveillance program to better understand the true burden of disease, who's at risk, why they're at risk, where the disease is coming from, and and how it's being spread in in the population. Now, we do know that in both dengue and Zika, you have this mosquito, the great villain, the Aedes aegypti, (laughs) that is the vector. It is the thing that's spreading the disease from Mm -hmm. person to person. But when you say how, you're Mm -hmm. really talking more about what other criteria, what other environmental issues Mm -hmm. will make one household or one community more likely to have these kinds of infestations or infections. Yeah, correct. So as you mentioned, Aedes aegypti mosquito is the main mosquito vector for the viruses. So the mosquito is infected with the virus, it bites someone, passes the virus to that person, and then it continues the cycle, similar to thinking about malaria or West Nile, you know, other diseases that we're familiar with. And so we're under, trying to understand the household risk factors, but also the nutritional risk factors, the characteristics of the individual person, um, and the immunology that would affect you know, why people get more or less sick or why they're exposed in the first place. But then the goal of that, it would seem to me, so you're in the point now of gathering the information about prevalence, Mm -hmm. incidence, Mm -hmm. what factors contribute to that, Mm -hmm. and the goal then would be to develop some type of, with that knowledge, Mm -hmm. interventions to prevent it. Right. So the goal of our work is to create this evidence base uh, so that we can help to work with the Ministry of Health and other partners to design interventions, better mosquito control techniques, or future clinical trials, for example, to evaluate dengue or Zika vaccines. Because those are in the works right now. And and they're fast-tracked, mm-hmm. but without them, the only, con- the, only, um, the only way to fight this 
these diseases is to basically control the mosquitoes. Yeah, correct. So you were there, mm -hmm. living, living there and working there mm -hmm. during the earthquake. What was that like? Where were you exactly when that took place? Yeah, so the earthquake happened last April, as you mentioned, and I was in southern coastal Ecuador, so not near the epicenter, but we felt it. Um, it was really probably one of the most traumatic events that I've lived, not the moment of the earthquake, but the subsequent days. And so uh, this was one of the most damaging natural disasters in decades in the country. As you mentioned, there were tens of thousands of people who were affected, sleeping outdoors without housing. And to top it off, this is now in an area where Zika is emerging as an epidemic. And so you have people who without appropriate access to water, um, without housing. Clean water. Yep. Without clean water, so that water's being, water is being stored. And so it's perfect conditions um, for a major epidemic. And so when the earthquake hit, we made a decision to mobilize our research team to the site of the earthquake. And so we were there about two days later. We worked with the local Ministry of Health to start collecting data from the population. And then we very quickly mobilized and set up actually a clinic at a local school to start providing primary care to thousands of people who were affected, who did, who needed basic healthcare services. So you were kind of, you put on a different hat. When yeah. you were doing research <clears throat> before and trying to get, kind of gather all this important data so that you mm. could make an impact on further treatment, right now you were involved in the relief efforts. Yeah, we were definitely on the front lines and we felt it was you know, a moral and ethical imperative to be there. You know, There was nothing else that was more important. Right, and so, so what yeah. were you actually doing then? And you say, were you, obviously you're not a physician, mm -hmm. so you weren't delivering primary care. So help us, give us a feel for what yeah. you did do. So my role, and I was there with my husband, we were basically organizing the teams. There were so many people who wanted to help and volunteers, but they needed to be connected with the right partners. So we were in constant communication with the Ministry of Health, with the National Secretary of Risk, uh, and with local communities and NGOs. And through that partnership, we set up this clinic where many volunteer physicians came and have continued to serve and provide public health care to the community since then. I also coordinated with Upstate to set up a, a, fu a fund to receive donations. Um, and we quickly raised about $5,000, which we used immediately to purchase basically medicine and basic supplies, rehydration therapies. And that fund is still open. And so as I mentioned, we're still there on the ground. I was just there two weeks ago, and we're continuing to work with the affected communities because what we tend to see is immediately after, immediately at the time of the earthquake and right afterwards, there's this huge, you know, outpouring. boom. There's an outpouring of interest and aid. But come now six months later, uh, there's nobody, you know, but there is tremendous need. And so people are, things are better. People are getting on their feet. You can see it. There's a change. It's a palpable. It feels different. There's a lot of hope, but there's still a huge need. So basically, where are they at in terms of their uh, relief effort or, or even their reconstruction? I mm. mean, obviously a lot, there was a lot of damage, very severe damage, as you mm. said. So where are they currently right now? So there are still hundreds of families living without homes, without homes living in tents on the streets or living in, there's some formal shelters that have been set up as well. The government is planning to build new homes, but that probably won't happen until early next year. Uh, they were able to get power and water up, you know, within about a, a month or so. But there's 
there are long-term impacts because there are many people who also lost family members. Of course. And they're trying to, you know, get, get on their feet again. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with health researcher Anna Stewart-Ibarra. We're talking about the earthquake in Ecuador and its repercussions. So I guess one question that comes to mind immediately, obviously the immediacy of having to deal with all of the pain and suffering around you was the most compelling mm. thing. But how did this earthquake impact on your earlier research mm-hmm. or even the paradigm for your research yeah. because mm-hmm. part of your research has also looked at environmental factors that may play a role in the transmission mm-hmm. of these kinds of mosquito-borne diseases. So did the earthquake's occurrence, mm-hmm. what 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 impact, if, mm-hmm. if at all, did the earthquake's occurrence have on your research, I guess? So the- this experience really made me understand how uh, natural disasters cause earthquakes or climate change disasters, which climate change I think is the biggest natural disaster facing humanity, how those inter, you know, interact to increase the risk of infectious diseases. So, and the other piece that was really striking to me was just how the trauma of the people, the psychological, the, the mental trauma also interacted to to cause much more illness, to increase people's susceptibility. And and more vulnerability. Yeah, so people are in shock, you know, and being able to, I think, understand the role of mental health in the face of natural disasters and how that interplays with infectious diseases like dengue or Zika is critical. Uh, And so actually we did about a week and a half, 10 days of medical campaigns in July with support from... um, volunteers who included medical students from SUNY Upstate Medical University, from Colorado University, and Dr. Joe Domachowski, who's an infectious disease pediatrician from Upstate. We attended to hundreds of people, and we actually gathered survey data from about 500 individuals working with the Ministry of Health. Uh, This was data that they had requested, and so we basically as a service helped to gather data because they were interested in also looking at this intersection of Zika infection symptoms, trauma from the earthquake, psycho, tr- psychological trauma, and uh, damages. And so that has led to a very close collaboration with the Ministry of Health that we are now working with them to be able to develop research questions and collaboration because I think this is a critical area, um, especially when we think about climate change, climate change refugees, which are people who are forcibly resettled because of natural disasters, and how that will impact human health and infectious diseases. And then, of course, that knowledge to then develop some potential uh, interventions because, mm-hmm. you know, we can't control the natural disaster. We have mm-hmm. to then react to the natural disaster. But the question is, right. knowing ahead of time what the potential repercussions are mm-hmm. of a natural disaster might mm-hmm. help us plan for the kinds of interventions that need to be done. And um, right. obviously, so any of those opportunities, these, these are, it's sad to say, a, a crisis becomes an opportunity, but it can mm-hmm. be an opportunity for learning and perhaps preventing problems or further mm-hmm. problems should this re- yeah. recur, not even so much in Ecuador, but anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. I think out of any disaster or, or crisis, there's tremendous opportunity to learn and to grow and to, to be innovative. We saw so many amazing people who were who are on the ground. And as you mentioned, it's also a chance to bring in innovative technologies. And so we worked with a group called Waves for Water that had low-cost water filters. And so they were doing an amazing job to provide water filters. Clean water, wow. Clean water. Um, on the other side, we've been doing work to develop low-cost mosquito control technologies. 
this would have been the perfect setting to be able to use that type of technology. Uh, you know, our, our technology isn't ready yet, but there are other people out there who are working on similar ideas. You know, whether or not, like you said, whether it's prevention or it's at the time of an emergency, we need to, to have low cost, easily, as we say, easily deployable, you know, innovative, innovative methods to, yeah. to deal with these emerging infectious diseases and other public health crises. So what's happening there right now? You allude to the fact, are you going back? I will be back in several months. We will have a group from SUNY Upstate, likely there in December also. Um, we have full-time coordinators who are on the ground, nurse coordinators who have been mat- receiving volunteer physicians, nurses, public health students from all over the world since so April. So there's still a great medical yes, need. definitely. And I would encourage anyone who is interested in, in volunteering or supporting the work in any way to reach out because there is a tremendous need and we plan to continue to work with the communities for a long a longer period of and time. And this have to do this has more to do with not specifically Zika or dengue, but specifically the results of the earthquake. Yeah. So we're or the sequelae to the earthquake. We have um, embodied a I would say a holistic approach to community health. And so we're providing primary health care. We've also been working with psychologists and therapists to deal with the trauma. Um, uh, that these communities have been facing. And then we have also been working with the Ministry of Health to collect important information on risk of Zika and these emerging infectious diseases. Well, it's an inc- it's incredible work and very, very important work. And I guess the question I would have is, how do you see at this point the, your work continuing now with the change that's taken place with the earthquake? How will it impact very briefly mm-hmm. on what you see your work hmm will be going forward. Yeah, so I would like to be able to continue to provide community health support, but also to do research to better understand the link between natural disasters and human health outcomes and infectious diseases, whether it's, like as I mentioned, an earthquake or whether it's major flooding events, hurricanes, events linked to climate change. Uh, I think this is a critical area for research and how refugees or people who are forced to leave their homes, how they're managing uh, this this sort of double double whammy, as you'd say. Yeah, and what can be done to help them, exactly. obviously. And um, let's hope we see a vaccine down the road, but I know you're also working <laughs> on a kind of a low-tech mosquito control system that's still in process, but mm-hmm. I hope you'll come back and tell us more about that as it unfolds, because mm-hmm. regardless of whether we have a vaccine or not, mm-hmm. we got to control those mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. So that's a crucial crucial mm-hmm. thing as well. So I want to thank you so much. Thank Once you, again, Linda. it's always a pleasure to have you. I think I have tremendous regard for what it is you're doing and how you've devoted your life to not only helping the country of Ecuador, mm. but through your work, mm. really helping mankind because mm. these kinds of uh, findings and this, these kinds of recommendations and interventions will really help all of us. So thank you so much. My guest has been thank Anna you. Stewart Ibarra. She's from the Center for Global Health and Translational Science at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. <laughs>